2,000 years ago, Jesus led a movement. He led a movement which was known as a messianic movement. But that wasn't unique to that time 2,000 years ago. There was nothing unique about a man coming down and saying that we are going to lead a movement on behalf of God. There was hundreds upon hundreds of people 2,000 years ago all the time that claimed to be the Messiah, that claimed to come down, that came, claimed to lead a movement that would change the world. But the state had an answer for those leaders. They would put those leaders to death. And that would be the end of the movement. Except for this one. In this case, Jesus along with hundreds and hundreds of leaders that led a messianic movement, he was put to death. But not only did that not stop the movement and end the movement, but instead sparked that movement to go out from Jerusalem and from Judea and to the entire known world at the time within the next 300 years. And we celebrate Easter this morning 2,000 years later because that leader of that movement, Jesus Christ, was not only put to death, but rose from the dead so that we can celebrate Easter together this morning. And what I would like to do briefly this morning is answer two questions. Did it happen? And what difference does it make? Did the resurrection actually happen? And if it did, what difference does it make for you and for me? We look at a passage in the Gospel of Matthew. If you did not bring your Bibles this morning, there's Bibles available for you in the pew racks in front of you. And the Gospel of Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. And we're going to go to the very end of the first book in the New Testament. We're going to be looking at the story of the resurrection in Matthew chapter 28. So would you turn there with me this morning? As you're turning to Matthew 28... It's important for us to understand that the church, not just this church, but the church universal, the church of Jesus Christ was founded on one cardinal truth. The church of Jesus Christ was not founded on the reality that Jesus was a good teacher. It wasn't founded on the reality that Jesus was a doer of miracles and a great healer. It wasn't founded on the reality that Jesus was a man of impeccable character, but the church of Jesus Christ was founded on one foundational truth, and that is this, he was dead and then he was alive. It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is the, the foundational truth of Christianity. Without the resurrection this morning, there is no Christianity. Keep that in mind as we read the word of God as it's found. In Matthew 28, we'll read verses 1 through 10 and then skip down to verses 16 through 20. Hear the word of God. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. 
For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. And there you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold... I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord, it stands forever. Amen. So did it happen? It's a fair question that you might ask on this Easter Sunday morning. Granted, on Easter morning, there are people, inevitably people, that this might be the first time to church in a while. This might be the first time to church in the last 12 months. And it's a fair question. You come in this morning a bit skeptical of a story of a man who lived 2,000 years ago that was pronounced dead and gone on Friday, but then alive on Sunday. Did it really happen? And I must say on the onset that we do not have enough time in a sermon or a service like this to go through all of the proofs and all of the evidences for the reality of the resurrection. That's why you have Lee Strobel's book, The Case for Easter. But I do want to point out just a few items that are recorded in the text before us this morning. In Matthew 28, Matthew gives us three poignant things that speak to the veracity and the reality of the resurrection for us. The first thing that we see in answering the question, did the resurrection happen, is in verses 1 through 8. The first eyewitnesses are, true, are, are pointers to the veracity and the reality of the resurrection. The first eyewitnesses we read in verses 1 through 8 is not John. The first eyewitness is not Peter. They all would have made sense. But who are the first eyewitnesses to the resurrection? Mary, Magdalene, and it says the other Mary. Two women. Now you might say, what's so such a big deal about two women being the first eyewitnesses? Well, you have to understand the context of the resurrection story. If you've been here at Coral Ridge for any amount of time, you've heard this before, but if you haven't been here before, I've explained that women in the first century had very little rights. They didn't have the right to own property or land, and their testimony would have never been permitted in a court of law. The very thing that you would have needed to prove that you were an eyewitness to the resurrection. 
All that to say, if Matthew had any motivation to make up this story, if Matthew and the other apostles got together and said, we are going to make up a story, the story of stories, a hoax, a legend, a myth that the people 2,000 years from now are still going to believe to be true, they would have never included in the story that the two eyewitnesses, the two first individuals to see the risen Lord were women. If this isn't true, there would have been no motivation for them to include that in this story. The only reasonable explanation for how two women could be the eyewitnesses to the most amazing thing that this world has ever seen, so amazing that we're speaking about it and talking about it and celebrating it 2,000 years later. The only reasonable explanation for two women being the first eyewitnesses to the resurrection is that it's true. The second thing that we see in the Gospel of Matthew is not only are the first two eyewitnesses of the resurrection women, which would have been unheard of in that day, but the second thing that we see is the honesty of this passage. And not only the honesty of Matthew, but really the honesty of the entire Word of God. Matthew here in the Gospel does not whitewash the story. Yes, it's an amazing story that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead and Mary and Mary see the risen Lord and, and it even says that they, they saw him and they believed and they worshipped. But there's one thing that Matthew includes that's peculiar. In verse 17 it says, while some worshipped him, it says also some doubted. I love the honesty of the Gospel of Matthew. See, if you are creating and writing a legend, if, if you're writing a fairy tale, you would have never included that there were some that doubted. And not only are they just anybody that doubted, the, these are the very people that would go on to found the church. These are the disciples. These are the ones that would write the New Testament scriptures. These are the ones that would eventually go out and take the message and the ministry and the mission of Jesus to the rest of the known world. But Matthew doesn't hide this. He doesn't suppress this truth. Some doubted. You see, some people criticize Christians and Christianity for being a blind faith. Oh, those people that believe in the resurrection, they're just gullible. No, there's hardly anything gullible about these first witnesses to the resurrection. They wrestled with the resurrection. They wrestled with the truth. They weren't gullible. They didn't have blind faith. They wrestled with the truth of the resurrection. But eventually what happens? These people that at one point doubt go on to spread the message of Christianity. They go out and they spread the message and the mission and the ministry of Jesus to the rest of the known world. So that tells us that on the one hand they doubted, they eventually saw enough evidence to convince them that this was true and this was real and we'll, we will be willing to risk our lives for it. And inevitably, you're here today and you might doubt. You come in just like the disciples did at first and you're skeptical. And I would ask you as you sit here this morning, what would it take for you to be convinced that the resurrection is real, that the resurrection is true, they were skeptical just like you, and Matthew, thankfully, doesn't hide that from us. He doesn't suppress that from us. But the honesty of Matthew's re recording of the resurrection of Jesus Christ speaks to the veracity and the truthfulness of this story. But not only were the first eyewitnesses 
women, which is amazing. And not only does Matthew give us a very honest and genuine recording of the resurrection story, but the third thing that we see here in the resurrection account in Matthew 28 is lives that are transformed. Remember I said that these disciples at one point in verse 17 doubt, but then what happens? In verse 19, Jesus commissions them. And what does he say? He says, go, go into all the world and make disciples of every nation. And they went and they did exactly that. There is no explanation for how people like Peter could deny Jesus on Friday, but then go out and even be willing to risk his life for the sake of the gospel. There's no explanation for how these disciples one day on Friday are running and hiding for their lives, denying Christ, hiding in fear, and then go out commissioned by Jesus Christ, even willing to risk their lives. There's only one explanation for how they could go from fear to freedom, from fear to courageous boldness for the mission and ministry of Jesus Christ. They saw something and it changed their lives. There's only one reason why the story that a man that was once dead but now alive has transcended time and cultures and countries and people. And there's only one reason why we're still talking about it and celebrating it 2,000 years later. Think about what Jesus was saying. Go into every nation in the world. What he was basically saying was this. Go, you 11 uneducated fishermen from backwater Judea. Go and change the world. There's only one explanation for how a uncourageous, ragamuffin group of men could be transformed in such a way that they would be used by God to change the world. The only explanation is that they saw something that day and it changed their life forever. But not only do we see the truthfulness and the veracity of the resurrection here in Matthew 28, the question I want to ask you most importantly this morning is what difference does it make? If Jesus was truly raised from the dead, what in the world does it mean for you and for me? Well, the answer is found at the very end of that passage. The very end of verse 20, Jesus says something so profound. He says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You see, in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, if the resurrection is true, you don't just get historical fact. If the resurrection is true, you just don't get an historical event. If the resurrection is true, you get God and you get God forever. You see, this is Jesus Christ himself, the very Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, announcing to the disciples and ultimately announcing to you this morning, because of my resurrection, you can have God forever. You see, the Bible tells us that we have a problem, and the problem is this. The problem is this, from the beginning of time, we all have been separated from God because of our sin and because of our brokenness. The Bible tells us a story of how we have been separated by God and from God. But the good news of Easter, the good news of the resurrection is Jesus says, because of what I have done, because of what I have done on the cross 
and because I have defeated sin and death once and for all, you can now be with God and you can be with Him forever. You see, when a man walks out of prison, he walks out, why? Because he served his time. He walks out of prison because he's paid the debt. And Jesus walks out of that grave 2,000 years ago. Why? Because he has paid the debt. He has served the time. Whose time? Whose debt has been paid? Your debt. Your penalty. He has served the time that was reserved for you. You see the good news of the resurrection, what it means for us this morning, if it is true, is that everything that has kept us from God has been defeated. Sin and death, our brokenness has been overcome once and for all so that we can read in the New Testament, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. The promise for you this morning is that from the beginning to the end for those that are found in Jesus and belong to Him, He is with you. On your worst day, He is with you. On your best day, He is with you. At the end of your life, at the end of your story, He is there. At the very end of the age, at the very end of time, He is there. And whether you realize it or not this morning, you have been created to be connected to God. And you have gone your entire life, some of you, trying everything under the sun to try to find hope and meaning and purpose. Everything under the sun to, to hide your shame and hide your guilt and atone for your past and atone for your sin. And I would tell you this morning that if the resurrection is true, that you would look no further than Jesus Christ who reunites you with the very thing that your heart longs for and the very thing that your heart needs. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you no longer have to fear. Have I done more good than bad? Will God accept me? If the resurrection is true, you no longer have to fear. Will I find favor with God? Have I done enough in my life to appease God? Jesus announces by way of the resurrection that everything that I have done on your behalf is fully secured. That all of the favor that you long for, all of the goodness that you strive for, has been accomplished in the person of Jesus Christ. And because of that, you can have God and you can have him forever. Bill Bagwell was 17 when he enlisted in the United States Navy during World War II. He immediately went to Pearl Harbor and then off to the Philippines. Well, in the Philippines, the Japanese overran the Philippines and he was captured. He was shipped to Osaka where he suffered horribly. Bill suffered from disease, sleep deprivation, and torture. When the war ended in 1945, he was barely alive. It took him one year one entire year for him to be rehabilitated. So in the summer of 1946, he was able to return home. He left Pearl Harbor and was shipped back to the United States. As soon as he landed in California, he called his dad who was living in Arkansas. And he picked up the phone and he said, Dad, Dad, it's me, I'm home. And his dad hung up the phone. 
furious that someone would play a cruel and evil joke on him. You see, in 1942, it had been reported to the Bagwell family that their son had died in battle in the Philippines. They had already issued a death certificate, paid out his life insurance policy, and had a memorial service for him. They had been grieving the death of their son for four years. So what did Bill do? He got the next train from California to Texarkana, Arkansas. And as soon as he landed at the train station, he went across the street to the tavern and he called his dad. And he said, Dad, Dad, it's me. It's Bill. It's really me. And before his dad could slam the phone down, he said, and, and real quick, Dad, I'm across the street at the tavern. Once again, the dad slammed down the phone and he said, that's it. I'm going to march over to that tavern. I've had enough of this. And when I find these people that are playing this cruel joke on me, they will pay and they will pay dearly. And so the dad raced down to the tavern. And when he opened the door, there was his boy, Bill. Hadn't seen his son in 10 years. Grieved his death for four. His son was dead. But he was alive. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the sweetness of that moment? I bet his dad just stood there, not able to believe what was before his very eyes, and said, No, no, it's just too good to be true. It's just too good to be true. You see, this morning in closing, the hardest thing for you to believe is the resurrection. It just seems too good to believe. It just seems too good to be true. But the promise for us this morning is that because of the resurrection, one day everything sad will be untrue. It's ironic that today is April Fool's Day. Could there be any greater message on April Fool's Day that Jesus is dead? No, he's alive. The Bible says that only the fool believes that there is no God. Flannery O'Connor said, if the resurrection isn't true, then just enjoy the few minutes you have here on earth because in the end, that's all you have. Brothers and sisters, this morning, if the resurrection isn't true, don't come back next week. If the resurrection isn't true, I have no right to be standing up here this morning. But if the resurrection is true, if the resurrection is true, then run to Jesus this morning. Because Jesus is waiting. And Jesus invites you to run to him. Not on the basis of anything good you have done, but on the basis of everything good that he has done for you. He invites you to run to him this morning, not because you've done more good than bad. He invites you because you can't do anything except believe. The Bible makes it very simple. If you believe in Jesus, not Jesus in your good works, not Jesus on all the good things you'll do today and tomorrow, the Bible makes it very clear that if you believe in Jesus, it's very simple. You have the right to be called a child of God. You can walk out of this place this morning a son or daughter, fully forgiven, fully accepted, fully loved. 
Not tomorrow, not the next day. Today is the day. If the resurrection is true, why would you ever wait? Today is your day to invite Jesus in, to change everything, and to say this, Jesus, Jesus, nothing in my hands I bring, but simply to that cross I cling.